From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the long-term stability of LASIK correction. Corneal biomechanical changes happen in the periphery of the cornea. They have been well documented, and they induce a late regression that obviously is more as, as more correction is attempted. First this. If you're planning to attend this year's ASCRS ASOA Symposium in Congress in San Diego, California, why not come in a day early for the 2015 ASCRS Glaucoma Day on Friday, April 17th? This full-day program features critical updates, robust debates, and interactive case studies on what comprehensive ophthalmologists and anterior segment surgeons need to know about glaucoma management. Speakers include leaders in the field like ASCRS President Richard Lewis, Stephen Sarkissian, Thomas Samuelson, and Edward Holland. Plus, this educational activity has been approved for AMA PRA Category 1 credit. You'll save more than 10% on on-site rates if you register by Friday, April 3rd. Go to ASCRSglaucomaday.org for more information. Those of us who've performed LASIK have had refractive surgery candidates ask us how long treatment will last. Like me, you've probably counseled them that the refraction stabilizes over a period of a few weeks to a few months and, barring any ectasia, will remain stable essentially forever. However, that may not be true. According to a new study by Jorge Alio that examined patients over 15 years Refraction may drift myopically even in the absence of ectasia. I'll let him explain. When do the refractive results of LASIK initially stabilize right after treatment? Yeah, well, the, the, you know, you have to consider that about, let's say, maximum one month after surgery, the results are stable. I guess that if you are dealing with low myopia I'm dealing, or intermediate myopia up to six diopters. What you get about 10 days is about what you, you're going to get in the very end. But, you know, a general uh, agreement exists about having one month to three months as the, as the, as the limit to get the, the maximum result. And I think that one month is for low and intermediate myopia. If you are dealing with more than six diopters, then you have to wait until three months to have the outcomes uh, as fixed because in some cases the biomechanics of the cornea make some late changes. Before your study, what was generally understood about the long-term stability of the LASIK refraction? Well, the, we have uh, two issues. The number one is that uh, LASIK is predictable and, 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 and effective uh, for myopia correction, and most of the studies have been performed uh, up to the end of the six months. Uh, three to six months have been considered as the gold standard for measurements, right, and particularly six months, because if any change happens to the late change, I mean, to the coronary biomechanics, which indeed are very, very unusual, indeed by the end of the six months should happen. Having this in mind, you have two sources of, of changes in the myopic eye with time. The, the first one is axial myopia. So in some cases, do have axial myopia increasing the, the myopia 
especially when you operate uh, young persons. Young persons mean people between the 18 and, and, and 20 years of age, uh, especially women, they are prone to, to increase. And in pregnancies, especially women, because of the increased elasticity of the tissue, they might experience an increase in axial myopathy. Second source is the, the, the cornea itself, because cornea biomechanical changes happen in the periphery of the cornea. They have been well documented, and they, they induce a late regression that obviously is more as, as more correction is attempted, the higher the myopic correction, the, the larger these changes should happen. And with this, and, and, and this is the source of late changes in most of the patients. So axial myopia can increase, but it's not related to the surgery, it's related to the eye, and this could happen regardless you have or not the surgery. Uh, These late, uh, late changes happen to, uh, to occur related to the topography. Are those under our interest and have been the reason of the report because these changes are really uh, creating this increase in the myopia uh, in, in, in people over six and particularly when you are over 10. Jorge, can I get you to describe your study, your inclusion and exclusion criteria? Okay. Listen, well, we, we have been including all cases that were operated uh, within the years that is are mentioned in the, the paper and we approach all these patients by the file and by phone, okay? So we didn't exclude anybody, and those that, that were not able to come uh, were at least uh, asked by the phone whether they were happy or not with their, uh, with their soul, whether they were using glasses or whether they were uh, affected by any inconvenience in the eyes, so heart, heart, and the other type of surgery. This data is not included in the paper because only those that came to us have been included. And these cases were uh, so not selected. They were those that were available. Some some cases after 15 or more years, simply talking, they don't have the same phone number or they change the, the, the city and the country. And this is why you have a decay in the number of, of the patients included. But this is the one of the largest, if not the largest, series reported now uh, with the long-term outcomes in a non-selected group of patients so in, in, in my case of the type that, that uh, I mentioned to you. And definitely this is, is a, a good sample of what represents the, the practice that of LASIK uh, from 15 to 20 years away from now in the, in the past. Jorge, what did you find and which parameters correlated most strongly with regression? Well, first of all, let me tell you that we're, we were quite satisfied and happy with the positive outcomes of the patients. So most of the patients, most of the patients were very happy, regardless that they were operated with a third or second generation examiner lasers, regardless the fact that they have higher order aberrations in, an, in a relatively high level, some of them, regardless of this, the patients were happy. That is remarkable because it indicates that the quality of the, of the vision that is obtained as considered by the patient is good. And probably a neuroadaptation process is happening in these patients because in spite of having some progression, they were not using glasses that were happy. One more thing is that uh, we had uh, been impressed also by the quality of the patients in terms of quality of life. They were performing well without glasses, even that they were almost in the 50s, some of them. And this is because this moderate uh, regression happened to be positive for near vision. So these patients were well neuroadapted for far and were uh, enjoying a near vision that was a little bit better because of this uh, small regression. Regression, as you can read in the paper, depended on the amount of myopia corrected. The higher the myopia, the higher the regression. Regression happened to be more than one diopter when the uh, refraction was targeted. Initial, initially, was more than eight diopters. And uh, this, this was reflected by the topography. So the main outcome measures for us 
were number one, the the the, the refraction, number two, keratometry that is in parallel with the regression. So all these cases had these changes, or most of them because of changes in topography, and very few of them had because of changes in the axial length. Let me just make sure that I understand what you're saying. In your study, only one patient had real genuine post-LASIK ectasia. The rest of, of the patients, as you said, for a small group, there were some people who actually progressed in terms of axial length, but the majority of patients with this post-LASIK uh, myopic progression were people whom you feel had uh, some degree of biomechanical compromise um, from these very high treatments and uh, progression steepening, topographic steepening, not not ectatic steepening, but uh, steepening on topography. That's totally correct. The one case of ectasia was the only one that we observed in this group of patients. And uh, I have to tell you that the, the cases that were approached by phone and were not uh, able to come since that they were healthy and with no particular problem. So it could be that very few cases happened even at that moment, which uh, the limits of our practice were not clear and coronal topography mapping was not perfect, etc. About the, the increase in, this, in, the, in the key value, this is related to the uh, shortening of the collagen fibers that once that they are ablated, they, they suffer a shrinkage towards the periphery. So the peripheral corner becomes a little bit thicker for the central corner to be the same, but le with less strength. So this is with the reason of this late uh, topography, because this combination of uh, of shortening of, 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 um, uh, of the collagen fibers ablated towards the periphery, providing less strength to the center, and probably the intraocular pressure makes the cornea to bulk a little bit, and these changes are reflected by the by the refraction. The refraction was. A myopic and astigmatism, but basically myopic, what reflects that this is a uniform steepening, this is not a, in one axis. And second, the, the, the changes were not related to coronal ectasia, which is a well-defined coronal topography pattern. They were simply a generalized, a generalized steepening that was related to the, in, in, very, in a very accurate way, to the monomyopia that was corrected. Really, really interesting stuff, Jorge. So you make the point, the obvious point, that this 15-year data, this reflects the way that LASIK was done 15 years ago and that um, some of these patients, if they presented to your practice today, uh, wouldn't even be considered LASIK candidates. Absolutely, yes. Some of them would, not, would have not been treated by LASIK, especially those with very high myopes, the limits of LASIK are not beyond minus 15, and some of the cases were ablated for minus 15. So they, they were definitely not a, a, a candidates today for LASIK. Probably some of them had corners that were suboptimal according to modern corner topography pattern analysis. And these cases indeed uh, are a different type of animal. But even with this in, taken into consideration, the, the level of complications were remar remarkably low. So that means that there is a tolerance in the cornea for this type of, of, let's say, mistakes that were obviously neglected time ago because we ignore them. Uh, and on the other hand, we uh, we had quite a positive practice of LASIK in spite of the macrocreatons. This is very important. The macrocreatons we had at that moment are very inaccurate. They were cutting uh, thicker or thinner uh, with very little control, not only that, we reuse the, the blades, something that is totally wrong, and, and today we don't do that. And in spite of these uh, remarkable biases that we have on the macrokeratome, diagnostic criteria, and pachymetry, and uh, indication, uh, medical indications, the level of complication has been very low, 
and the results are standardly good if we consider the patient satisfaction, as I told you, and that the refractive outcome is good in spite of this moderate regression that happened. So, Jorge, as you've said, you've made practice changes in your own practice over the course of these last 15 years. Are there any particular practice changes that you've made as a result of this study? Well, we're following now this patient because, you know, it's, it's a unique opportunity. Very few people have worldwide files of people that have been already up to 20 years follow-up uh, and patients are, are available. Those that are available now will not change so much the the the, the, uh, the, the phone or the city because they are much more stable. They are older, obviously. This is a unique opportunity and yes, we're following up these patients. These patients are very happy to know that the doctors are uh, behind them, supporting and taking care and obviously interested in their cases. Jorge, when patients come to your practice now for consideration for LASIK, do, do you have this conversation with them that there's this potential for uh, a long-term um, uh, drift of myopia, even in the absence of complications like ectasia? Um, granted, as, as, as you've said, this is something that patients uh, neuroadapt too, but still, this is something that's that's measurable, that's verifiable. Uh, I'm I'm just wondering if you counsel patients uh, any differently now. Well, we have a, a different uh, info consent. In the info consent, we we remark that we we know by our experience and we quote our papers that long term a, a regression might happen to a certain degree, and this is related to the monodiopsis, and this is not predictable, and they should be ready to accept this because this is a fact that we have demonstrated. Yes, we, we do, but you know, the patients are aware of, of these issues, and they, but they know, and we tell them that in case that this is bothering them, we have the resources to treat them because in these regressions, what we do now is surface ablation. We no longer practice uh, real LASIK in these spaces over uh, six months or one year because we think that to ablate the surface is simply talking safer for the eye. We don't subtract more more cornea tissue and, and we leave the patient in a much more controllable way. Jorge, this is great stuff, very practical, very useful. Uh, I, I want to thank you very much for bringing this to us and for being so generous with your time with us today. Thank you very much. Jorge Alio is professor and chairman of ophthalmology, both at the University of Alicante and the University of Miguel Hernandez de Aichi in Alicante, Spain. His article, Laser Insight Keratomyelusis for minus 6.0 to minus 18.0 diopters of myopia and up to minus 5.0 diopters of astigmatism, 15-year follow-up, appears in the January 2015 issue of the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Ask questions of Dr. Alio or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.
Jorge, this is really practical, really valuable stuff. I, 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 I want to thank you very much uh, for bringing this to us and for being so generous with your time with us today.